This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Total Saints podcast. I'm Martin Stark, and each week I'm joined by our panel of Saints experts to reflect on the last seven days following Southampton Football Club. We're recording this episode of TSP live tonight. We sent out the invite to our patrons to watch the podcast as it's happening and to get involved in the conversation in real time. Now, as it's our first time doing a virtual live podcast, I'll be honest with you, anything could happen. We are going to be looking at doing more live streams after the international break across our Facebook and our Twitter pages, as well as on our YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe to be one of the first to find out more. I've checked tonight, scheduling-wise, we're up against Strictly Come Dancing and Gary Lineker's new game show. Uh, so if you are watching live, thank you very much for choosing us. Uh, coming up this week on the pod, reaction to the 1-0 win against Aston Villa at St Mary's on Friday evening. And we look ahead to the trip to Norwich after another international break. Let me first introduce you to our guests this week. Owner of Saints Web, Steve Grant. Uh, Steve, you're still in Dubai? Yep, here for here for another few weeks. Um, so what, yeah. what was the time difference with the game and the kickoff on Friday night? I did feel... Uh, yeah, mid- midnight kickoff. So that was uh, <laughs> so that was fun. But but Friday, Friday over here is basically... Because the Arabic weekend is Friday, Saturday. So Friday night is basically their Saturday night. So um, the bar we were in was absolute carnage. Um, if anybody's been to Dubai, then they've been to uh, Brasti. Um, they'll kind of know exactly they'll they'll know exactly what what I'm referring to. But it was just absolute carnage. This that place because it's like got a sort of beach beach bar attached to it as well, so you can be be sat in the swimming pool drinking drinking cocktails and all, all kinds of nonsense going on. Uh, live bands and. Um, just everybody being very very drunk and we've got our own own little corner that uh that's that's been sort of christened the franny benali stand um where where we where we watch the games is there many of you is there much of an appetite for saints versus villa at midnight on a friday uh there was i think there were nine of us there friday i mean some some yeah some games last season we had i think the the leicester semi-final i think we had about 20 25 down there yeah everybody came out came out for the big game but Hoping to kind of get the numbers back up a little bit as the season goes on. I mean, the the, the three o'clock, the Saturday three o'clock games are, are usually the best attended because it's a convenient time. It's like yeah. either six or seven o'clock here. Um, so, well, yeah, hope, hopefully get get some get some more get some more along uh, as the season goes on. Glad you enjoyed it. Uh, also with us is the writer of the blog League One Minus Ten, Glenn Delacour. Can I just check, Glenn? That door is locked behind you. Is it? We're not going to have a, a BBC <laughs> News moment with someone <laughs> breaking in. Might do. Might do. Makes. <laughs> Bit of danger on live TV, yeah. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I've told everybody, but who knows? People, um, I'm, I'm famous for having people interrupting what I'm doing here, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. The more, the merrier. Uh, also with us is the Athletics dedicated Saints reporter Dan Sheldon. Does that mean you get a Saturday off, Dan, if the game's on a Friday night? A rare Saturday off? Yeah, I've had the um, the weekend off. Although I've done uh, a bit of work this afternoon with all the kind of stuff that's going on, so. Was due to be a weekend off, but probably worked half a day in the end. So, but yeah, all good. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Uh, of course, the biggest hello and thank you is always reserved to our patrons, wherever you're listening or watching this week. Welcome to episode 175 of the Total Saints podcast. 
This is the Total Saints Podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenda LaCour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Now it's fair to say Friday night football has not really been our friend over the years, but what did you make of the game at the weekend, Glenn? Um, we got the job done, eventually. It was... It was similar to Watford in lots of ways. Very good first half, got a goal in front, missed a few chances, and the second half was um, was a bit of a struggle. But, you know, we, we got there in the end. So uh, I don't complain about the manner of any win. Basically, if we get if we get the job done and get the three points, then then I'm, I'm quite happy. Belt-in goal from Adam, Adam Armstrong at the start. Most impressive thing about that was that he even tried it. You know, most, most strikers who are in a bit of a goal drought wouldn't, wouldn't even try and hit that and um, a fantastic goal uh, and that set us up for the first half really where you know we missed a few Stuart Armstrong missed one Warpras had a uh, got a good save out of Martinez and um, Romeo should have got that on target really when he when he drilled it over the bar so it was uh, it was a good first half and of course we had I'm sure we'll talk about it later Mr mm. Mr El Ghazi who should of oh, course have been he's sent on the off. list <laughs> oh yeah I mean ridiculous that he wasn't sent off and um, that would have made the second half completely yeah. different as it was the second half was was a bit of a struggle you know Ralph uh, Ralph rolled the dice with changing the formation bringing the anko on and, and and at the end of the day whilst it still wasn't pretty the end justified the means we got to the end of the game we won 1-0 Villa didn't really cause us many problems, so um, happy days. So uh, yeah, whilst I, I can't say I enjoyed the second half, but no. um, got the job done. Plenty to talk about this week. Steve, did you enjoy this one? Was there enough to keep you awake into the small hours of Saturday? Well, I had enough alcohol there, so it was uh, it was <laughs> it was fine. Um, no, I mean I, I basically echo what what Glenn said in the first first half. I mean that game should have been put to bed on two counts. Obviously they should have been down to ten men and we should have been three or four up. I mean quite how Stuart Armstrong has missed that one from pretty much under the crossbar um with the freedom of the six yard box. Um no idea. But yeah, I mean I think the the goal actually kind of goes back to something that we mentioned last week with obviously Armstrong missed a few chances at Vicarage Road and like we kind of thought, well, is he snatching at chances? But actually, no. As we as we discussed last week, that's kind of the way he that's the way he he hits shots. He he takes them early. He doesn't really doesn't really mind where he's taking them from. And on evidence from Friday night, he's quite happy to uses uses weaker foot as well. So yeah, I mean, I think I think that that actually kind of works works in our favour. It does. I mean, it does help when you when you're up against a Villa defence who just looks so ropey and. And obviously Armstrong's got got what twenty odd goals in the championship last season, and let's be blunt, that was up against a championship defence on Friday night. Yeah, fair. First half, obviously Saints were excellent. Same old story. The second half, not killing teams off. I know you've written about this, uh, Dan, this week. It was uh, it was the same old thing, and you you kind of felt Villa might get back in this, and if they do, it's our own fault. Yeah, I feel as though we've kind of discussed like Southampton missing chances, sort of ad nauseum on the podcast over recent weeks, and the, the game should have been out of sight by by half time and then it just makes for a nervy second half when it doesn't need to be nervy at all and there was no way Villa were going to be any worse than they were in the first half because they were just shocking I think Southampton beat them to every single ball they they just suffocated Aston Villa it was really really impressive one of the most complete 45 minutes of football I've seen from Southampton this season I thought it was that good and then in the second half they started seeing a bit deeper and a bit deeper but you know for as for as poor as Southampton were in the second half they still restricted Villa to kind of pop shots or or nothing Mm. chances really I still can't remember Aston Villa really testing McCarthy in the, in the yeah. second half. They had they didn't create anything. Um, they I think they only had one on one on target second half, which was that one that he tipped over straight at him. Yeah. yeah. So you know, for although we can all sit here and say you know it wasn't a great performance in the second half, they they still did more than enough to to kind of keep Villa at bay. But it was similar to Watford, just in the sense that all the time it's one nil. You always it's, it's just you know the other team needs yeah. like half a chance or a chance, and that's it. And the game's level. Then you know had Villa scored. Call this is hypothetical, you know, they would have come out with their tails wagging and Saints would have sat deeper and deeper and you would have backed Villa to get another one because that's how these things go. But I don't think we can kind of criticise that too much. You know, it, it capped off a really good run of results for the club and keyword being momentum going into that break, which is all important. And Dan, I just want to stay with you because um, we spoke about Adam Armstrong last week, but you wrote about it this week. Um, something about the fact that he, he's not afraid of having a, a shot, not always from in the six-yard box, but it, he'll have a go. And eventually, 
like on Friday night, one of those is going to come off. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I mean, I'm not trying to claim an assist or anything. Um, <laughs> but the, the, you were the, the first the, person I thought of when he scored. <laughs> the, the piece, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the piece I, um, other than the week with our data guy Mark Carey, was just kind of looking at well, where is he taking these shots from? And I think he only had one shot inside the area out of 27. So many of them are coming from outside the box, and you know, if you keep on taking them, eventually they're going to go in. Perhaps the most impressive thing was that it was left-footed. It was just such an instinctive strike, really, really impressive. Just yeah, kind of out of nowhere, really. It was one of them ones that you probably have a go at that in all the other games he's played, and it would end up in Rosette, but just absolutely hit it on the sweet spot. And yeah, you kind of. For his sake, you sort of lament the fact there's a break now because I'm sure he'd be itching to kind of play Norwich next week, but he's got to wait a, wait a couple of weeks before that. Let's talk about some of those misses. Um, Glenn, were you at the right end for Stuart Armstrong's miss? Um, no, I was at the opposite end. Um, <laughs> it, it, bit too much think, time to think, do you reckon? Just, it, it just wasn't committed to it, was it? It just seemed like he sort of swung a lazy leg at it. Mm. And that's that's the uh, that's the sort of thing I complain about with, um, you know, the, the team I try and coach, park football. You know, you've got you've got to be fully committed. And he, he didn't look like he he believed that, that he was going to score and he just sort of waved his foot at it. And uh, yeah, it, it went vertically upwards. So um, not his not his finest moment. And we, you know, we know what a good player he is and how well he can strike the ball. Um, so I, I was a, I was a bit surprised. You know, mm. I'm at the other end, sort of squinting, thinking, was that Armstrong? That was really bad. Was it <laughs> but, um, flag? Was he offside? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, no, he wasn't offside. Um, I mean, it, you know, it was it was on the half volley, but you. Having seen um, Adam Armstrong hit a half volley um, earlier on, you would have, you would have hoped that he could have scored from there. But but there you go. I mean, I think in his defence, he could probably still claim to be a little bit rusty, having been mm. out of the team for a long time and um, and coming back in. But uh, yeah, no harm done. And Steve, a word on James Ward-Prowse. I thought really good game. That tackle on Buendia, I thought was uh, my heart was in my mouth a bit um, when I saw him going flying in for that. But uh, definitely one of his better performances since he's been back in the side. Yeah, I think I think he's kind of possibly even had a, a sort of realization that he's not been quite at the um, top of his game like he was for large parts of last season. And yeah, I mean the the challenge of coming up against a side who showed kind of slightly half-assed interest in in him in the summer was a was a good a good one to um to put him put him up against and for him to show show what a good player he can be and yeah i mean him and him and romeo in that central midfield just absolutely dominated mm-hmm. um i mean i know villa villa are missing missing a few players in in that position at the moment um like douglas louise i think is is kind of a, quite a good player in that holding role, similar to similar sort of situation that Romeo does for us. But but yeah, they they had no real no real answer to us through the, through the middle in that first forty five minutes. Just completely outbattled them. Which I mean, while while we know that Prousey's always happy to stick his foot in, he even so he's still kind of still re- fairly slightly built, and you you're always quite surprised when he comes out the other the other side with the ball at his feet, and yet. Well, the goal um, came, the goal came from him winning a fifty fifty mm, basically, yeah. didn't it? Because I know you know he probably didn't mean to just belt it up in the air and create a goal that way, but it, that was that was what we were doing in the first half. You know, everyone was winning the fifty fifties, and that that was yeah. kind of what changed in the second half. We suddenly weren't winning them all, and that put us under pressure. Adams and Armstrong up front, Broger on the bench. How did they do as a front pair for you, Dan? Yeah, they they, they did what they've done throughout all the games. To be honest, they I thought Adams. If I'm going to you know, Armstrong scored the goal, but I thought Adams again was just so impressive. And my colleague, Greg Evans, our Villa writer, who obviously doesn't watch Southampton that often, was really, really impressed by Adams, his work rate, his kind of just endeavour to to sort of close down every space. He just looked, it's quite a simplistic way to leave. He was just bang up for it again. And I mm. thought he kind of followed on from his Watford performance where he was just doing the same sort of stuff. And I think what what can be deceptive deceptive about Armstrong as well as how quick he is. He is so quick. You know, the, the ball goes back to Martinez or a defender's kind of dawdling on it. He's so quick to close down that gap, which I thought he showed in abundance on Friday night. So as a pair, yeah, they were, they were, you know, you, you can't kind of criticize them too much. They, I mean, the start of the season, they seem to create a lot more together and that doesn't seem to have happened in over the past couple of games, but look, Southampton have won them both. So mm. again, you're kind of being particularly picky if you start criticizing them for that. It's interesting that we've gone from no strikers in form to suddenly having three strikers yeah. in form and, and you yeah. pick two from three now and you could make an argument for any pairing out of the three. Whereas a couple of weeks ago, Adams and Armstrong looked like they couldn't buy a goal and 
Brozier looked to be the man who was mm. going to play all season and and stop us from getting relegated. But now we've got three strikers in form and that can only only be a good thing. And as someone said earlier, it's a shame we've got yet another international break. <laughs> uh, another clean sheet as well, the fifth of the season. So we need to discuss the back five, really. I didn't think that was Tino's best game. And no. I've read conflicting things about Carl Walker-Peters as well. Some said man of the match, others just a hindrance going forward and not having a left foot. What did you make of the defensive display, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of all of that is partially true. Yeah, I don't think Tino was particularly great and and but then I think a lot of it was basically Villa all anything that Villa did that was vaguely sort of even looking to get out of their own half in the first half um was down his side through El Ghazi. Um which is why obviously El Ghazi was involved in in so much kind of um sort of on on that touchline. And I think I mean, it go, kind of goes without saying, really, doesn't it? If El Ghazi had been sent off as he should have done on either of the two where he should have had his second uh, second booking, then all of a sudden Livermento's got a load more space down that flank and he can he can bomb forward a little bit more. But I think his certainly def- his defensive positioning still needs still needs a bit of work on. It's kind of a little bit. He does get a bit Cedric every so often in that in that he. Kind of, yes. Or you'll set Glenn off. Where's well, touch yeah. shirts? No well, shoes. Well, he just, um, he just, just kind of switches off a little bit. And there was, there was one moment in the first half, one of the few times that Villa got the ball in our box, and and it was actually Trey Adams who was chasing back and won the won the header that just basically got knocked down into into McCarthy's hands to pick up and and sort of clear the damage. But yeah, it's it was wasn't a great great performance from him, but. And the kid's eighteen. He's not going to be yeah. not going to be able to be consistent week in week out at the at the highest level at, at that age, having played what 12, um, 12 first team games. Mm. Walker Peters on the left. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think he played well. Um, certainly defensively, he was very good going forward. First half, him and El Yunusi linked up quite a lot, which was interesting. Yeah, I mean, the the problem is him not having a particularly strong left foot kind of means that the sort of overlapping runs that you would expect from Perro, for example, don't quite work out in the same way. But basically, Walker Peters, all he's got to do is get a bit more confidence to use that left foot in the same way that Redmond has in the last couple of games. Mm. Obviously, he was missing with um, with COVID on Friday. And we we did kind of miss that, that sort of ability to put a cross in with our left foot uh, when we were overlapping the fullback because, I mean, Matty Cash let us do it time and time again. Um, I mean, he was he was all over the place, which is glorious karma for last season's non non awarded handball. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Carl Walker Peters at left back. Glenn, has he done enough for you, or is it just uh, a square peg in a round hole? Uh, I didn't think he was as good as he was against Watford. Mm. Um, he seemed more reluctant to use his left foot um, on Friday than he did against Watford. It's just it's just something he's got to work out. I mean, we we touched we touched on it last week. He knows he ain't getting in the team at right back. So in order to be a functioning left back, you have got to cross the ball with your left foot on occasions. And if you're prepared to do that and you show the fullback that you're prepared to do that, then he knows you can go either way and you're happy to go either way. And it just makes, you know, the opposition right back's job a lot more um, a lot more difficult. Um, I, I thought Walker Peters was okay. He defended well at the, the bottom line is that is a fullback's primary job. They got nothing going down his side. And he, you know, he he did a very good job. So I would certainly see no reason, based on the last couple of performances, to uh, to leave him out. I, the only the only time I I would certainly put Perro in it is when we're playing teams that are going to camp on the edge of their own penalty area, because then you need to have you know more ability to go down the sides, and you need to make the pitch as wide as possible. And that and that is in effect what you know a left footed left back does. You know, Norwich away is the next game. Mm-hmm. I, I see no reason to take Walker Peters out of the team against a team that, you know, are fairly open and not the best defensively. What did you make of the defensive display, Dan? Yeah, they kept another clean sheet, so... Job done. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously not as simple as that, but I thought Tino probably looked like the the past few weeks have kind of caught up on him. Mm. Don't think it was his his best game. I thought he was okay in the first half, to be fair, but the second half, I thought he struggled and just looked a bit tired, which is understandable. Although I, I, in in the first half, when... El Ghazi should have been sent off. I do think one thing Tino is very good at for, for quite a young player as well is getting his body in between the ball and the opponent. He seems very good at that and kind of drawing fouls. Much what Shane, that's like the only thing Shane Long can still do is kind of get his body in between the opponent and the ball and tend to win fouls. I think Tino is pretty good at that um, for such a young player. Uh, Kyle, I thought, yeah, it was, you know, every game he plays there, he's going to get better. 
Salasu again is just kind of coming into his own this season as he looks so impressive as a centre half and you, you kind of feel that if, if Jack Stevens come back comes back in the only one that's going to drop out would be Bednarek I think Salasu looks nailed on pretty much now to be that the, the main defender at Saints and yeah I think Alex again had nothing to do really had to make one save and, and made it and flapped at a couple of crosses which he's, he's not done in recent weeks which was a bit disappointing but ultimately that's what his fifth clean sheet now which is you know behind only Chelsea's Mendy so I know I got a bit of stick for saying he should be in the England England squad this time around but I, I still stand by that well, no, I was going to bring this up because you mentioned it on the pod last week. Then you went public on Twitter with it this week. You mentioned Mendy there, the only keeper with uh, with more clean sheets. And yeah, his distribution was a bit poor. But actually, it seems like there is a, a growing case. I, I don't think you're the only person banging the drum at the moment, Dan. Well, no, I think someone, one of the replies to, to my tweet was, he's the worst goalkeeper I've ever seen. And That's Twitter for you though, right? Blimey, I could <laughs> probably name quite a few worse than Alex McCarthy. I just think, you know, in... You know, statistically, I was looking at some data before I came on, actually. Like, he is miles ahead some of the other goalkeepers in the league. He's, of the other kind of 14, I was, I was tagged in a picture. You know, he's above all the English goalkeepers in the Premier League. You know, he's ahead of Pickford, ahead of Pope. But, yeah, I, I kind of banged that drum and he's not going to be in the England squad. I didn't think he would get in the England squad, as, as I said last week, but I did think he deserved to be based on his form. You know, we can't have it all the way. We can't say, you know... He's a rubbish goalkeeper, but and the reason we've kept five clean sheets is because of Salasu. I mean, it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't work like that, in my opinion. Uh, we're streaming live this evening, by the way, so there's uh, a chance for people to put some comments next to our broadcast. And a few people asking uh, Nick, for example, and Ed as well about Salasu and does he then leave in the summer? Uh, Nick says, "How much should we hold out for in January for uh, for Salasu?" This is always going to be the problem, isn't it, Steve? When one of our players starts performing well, he's gone a bit under the radar so far. But I noticed that this week people are starting to pick up on it. Yeah, I think we should frantically sort of wheel out the social media um, bandwagon of um, Mohamed Salasu is the new Wesley Hoot. Because <laughs> I think that'll that'll be our best chance of keeping him under the radar for a, for a little bit longer. No, I mean, look, the, every game is available on TV in some way or another, whether it's legal or otherwise. So people are going to wise up. The, the scouting across the Premier League is is obviously very good and people will people will know what they're what they're dealing with here. We obviously scouted him um significantly when we when we signed him what 18 months or so ago. Mm. So yeah, I mean I, I find it difficult to believe that other clubs didn't already have that data on um on file anyway. So what we what we've seen from him is kind of what we thought we were going to get, but we actually I think we we kind of expected him to be sort of competing for a start straight away but um I think it's actually worked probably worked out quite well to give him give him a year to acclimatize and now as you say he's probably first, one of the first names on the team sheet Dan probably question for you Sai says could Tino play in front of Carl Walker Peters on that side that was something that I think Ralph addressed this week did he in in the um in the press conference yeah I think it, it's something we've all kind of considered and something I especially at the start of the season I was thinking surely it kind of would make more sense to do that. But then you kind of quickly remember, look, I don't spend every day on the training pitch with these guys. Ralph's the manager. Ralph must see something on the training pitch that suggests that that, that combination won't work. And I think, yeah, I think there's there's a big difference as well with kind of receiving the ball where Tino does and running with it when you've got kind of 60 yards of grass in front of you and you're always looking up to receiving the ball with your back to goal, turning and then running into space. They're, they're two different disciplines. And yeah, I think, it would probably be asking quite a lot of Tino. I'm sure Tino could do it because mm. you know, he's kind of taking it to like a duck to water, isn't he? But I don't see any reason to, to change it now. I think he's well established in the right back role, clearly very good at it, very good at making those runs. And if you're then asking him to all of a sudden receive the ball with his, with his back to goal and do different things, you know, so early on in his career, it's only going to confuse him, I think. So let him continue developing on what he's doing. Ralph, has clearly not seen anything in training that suggests playing those two on the same side will work. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have already done it. And I think, yeah, there's just no need for me, in my opinion, to, to, to do it at the moment. I do. I do wonder actually with um, with the issue. There might be an issue with playing Carl Walker Peters at left back, and that's Thierry Small, who came in from Everton as a highly rated youngster, obviously intending to you know, follow the same path as, as Tino and, and get in the team relatively quickly. And 
you know, because of Tino's success, he's he's kind of found himself third choice left back now. And yeah, I'm think, sure. I'm sure when he came in, he thought he was going to be second choice. Yeah, well, I had a conversation with someone about Thierry Small actually within the club a couple of days ago, and I was just kind of trying to get well gauge what's his development. And he didn't have a preseason whatsoever, so he came in. He had to then catch up, play kind of minutes in the B team. And I was told if there was a, you know, if the FA Cup third round was next week, Thierry would be starting. You know, he he'd be playing that game. So they they are impressed with how he's developed, but and they're impressed. They're very impressed by his level that he showed in training and in the B team games. But it's just taken him a little bit longer because he had no preseason whatsoever and had to kind of catch up the kind of basic fitness levels with the rest of the squad. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see him appear a bit a bit more often. But yeah, as you say, it's, it's unlikely he's going to get ahead of Perot and, and Walker Peters. And you know he's probably has joined thinking you know having seen Livermento. And the success he's having is it's kind of like, oh, I thought I was going to come here and play a bit more. But now, hmm. as you say, my third choice. Be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Mark says regarding the defence, good to see Ralph change it relatively early on. I think it was it 50, 55 minutes uh, bringing mm-hmm. Lianco on and playing a back three with the fullbacks pushing on. Great observation. And were you surprised to see that happen so early on in that second half, Glenn? Or was that more about how Villa were playing and, and having to match up? Well, Villa had basically taken over the game, hadn't they? Um, they'd moved Leon Bailey inside because he was absolutely hopeless out on the right wing in the first half. And they moved him inside. And suddenly they had, they had two strikers and, and Ralph White had put a spare man in at the back. I, I don't think, what, you know, when the substitution happened, I don't think you can ever be, you know, 100% sure it's going to work. As, as a supporter, you're watching thinking, hmm, not... You know, it, it's an early one, and it's taking off Stuart Armstrong, who is you know one of our one of our better players most of the time. So there was a little bit of apprehension about it, but the end justified the means. We got to the end of the game. Lianco did okay. He had that one little incident with Bednarek where they both left it to each other, and the alternative would have been not leaving it, and Lianco would have wellied him over the stand or something. But uh, but they they both left it, but we got we got away with that one. But yeah, so I, I guess I, I guess I was a little bit surprised. We you know we I think we're still stuck in the mode of expecting Ralph to not make a change until the seventy fifth mm. minute. But he's proved on a number of occasions this season that you know he is willing to do it. He's now got the players that he's got the confidence that he can bring players on, and and it's not gonna. You know, it's not going to weaken things. So the substitutions are tending to come a little bit earlier. So um, no, fair play. And you know, sometimes players are just going to get going to have to get used to getting dragged on 55, 60 minutes if that's what the team demands. It's a team game at the end of the day. It's a good problem to have, isn't it? Ed says he'd play Lianco ahead of Bednarek. Is that a, a change that you would make, Steve, going forward, or do you, do you leave Bednarek in because of the clean sheets and it seems to be working all right? Yeah, I, don't, I, I think it's a little bit, little bit soon to be uh, making those sort of calls. I mean. I've I've said said a, a few times I think Bednarek's level has level certainly relative to the to the rest of the defence has dropped um, over the last eighteen months or so. But last couple of games he's been reasonably solid again. So yeah, I mean I, I think I mean Lian- Lianco, at the end of the day we've seen one fairly rubbish game from him, one very good game, and what thirty um, thirty five forty minutes of a decent decent ish game. Um, on Friday night from him. So I don't think we can really be sort of jumping to any any conclusions and saying that he should he should now be starting over over a guy who's played what 100 100 odd games for us now. I think it's probably going to take a li- take a little bit of time. I mean obviously over Christmas games going to come thick and fast. We might be rotating a little bit. I think Salasu's one booking away from a suspension now. So yeah, I mean there's there's going to be opportunities for uh, for Lianco to play. The chance is going um, to come, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, when, certainly. When does the um, the AFCON happen? Because Salisu will obviously be off for that. Well, I don't know if he will, because he's not he's not played for Ghana yet. He's not been called up. So, yeah, right. fingers crossed. Yeah, who knows? Fingers crossed. Glenn, would you like to talk about the referee? <laughs> I just need to remind you that we're streaming live. There isn't the opportunity to edit out the, the libel or the slander. Um, so um, well, put your words carefully. But uh, okay, okay. Andy Madley, how did he do? Andy Madley. Andy Madley's got an older brother called Bobby Madley, who was a referee a few years ago. And then he was only 32 and he kind of left in mysterious circumstances. And you can all Google it and, and see the very amusing um, reasons why he was, carry on. he was supposed to have left. Anyway, and Steve knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so Bobby Madley was a horrendous referee for us. He was the, it was the classic Kevin friend. If you had him when you were playing the big boys, it was an absolute waste of time. He, yeah, just dreadful referee. Andy Madley's his brother. We've had him before. He hasn't been, too bad but how you can see 
basically two identical fouls, book one and not book the other, and they're only five minutes apart or 10 minutes apart, is absurd. I can kind of understand him not giving him a booking for the dive for the penalty because no one's getting booked for that these days. Mm. It just seems to be something that they're not booking players for anymore, which is a shame. But the second the second foul was just, I mean, it was actually worse than the first one. It was, it was just a hack. It was nowhere near the ball. He knew Tino was gone if he let him go, so he hacked him down. So he he has to be sent off. And I thought in the second half, he was horrendous as well. There was he, uh, he gave Villa a corner at one point, which didn't hit anybody. You know, mm. just went straight off and he gave a corner. And there was one right in front of me in the last couple of minutes where Che Adams was trying to shield the ball and, and Mings just booted him in the stomach. Mm. And and somehow he he he, he gave Villa off. He, I don't know what he gave, but they got the free kick. It was just, it was just absurd. So yeah, he 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 was a shambles. And and you you would hope, you know, if there's any sort of accountability, that they would at least be asking questions about why he didn't send El Ghazi off for the second foul. But that that that's that sort of things kept kept in the dark, isn't it? and yeah. we don't know we're, what goes on. We're there. told that yeah, we're told there's some sort of internal league table that that the PGMOL maintains that kind of ranks the performance of. And yeah, you can you can insert that as a typo if you like the word ranks the the performances of the referees over over all of their games through sub whatever metric system they use. And yeah, I mean you just you look at that and think, well, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be marked down for that certainly. But the problem problem with that is that the referees that get marked down then get given the games for the clubs the lesser clubs in the league. So that just means it's more likely that we're going to have we're going to get them, yeah. that we're going to have Andy Madley refereeing us again. On a on a more positive note, do we think that Ralph's now found his two number 10s? It's probably worth just a, a little word on them. Dan obviously Redmond missing because of his uh, in testing positive for COVID, which I thought was unfortunate, but obviously uh, the two that started made a pretty good case. Yeah, I, I think so and as as Glenn kind of said earlier, anyone due to the kind of depth on the bench, it could be anyone that gets sort of pulled off on the hour mark and this time it was Stuart Armstrong. I still think if Redmond was fit, I think he would have started the game. He's, I think he's created, got two assists this season and Ralph sees that and thinks when if, if no one else is creating kind of, well, at least he is. So he's doing something right. And so, yeah, I do think Redmond would have started that game and Armstrong probably would have been on the bench had he not tested positive for COVID. So I, I don't think Ralph's probably fully settled on his number 10s. They seem kind of more interchangeable perhaps that than, than most of the positions I it looks difficult for Walcott to find a way back into the starting 11 I'm not sure that will happen anytime soon but yeah the interesting one Ellie Nusi seems to have like sort of settled on his spot Jennifer's not started in a while so you, you kind of think well you know has he kind of had his opportunity so it is it, it does seem like it's between Ellie Nusi Armstrong and Redmond when when he returns are you happy enough with that Glenn yeah I, I thought it was just- I thought it was interesting seeing the two that played on Friday. To me, they're the best two footballers. They're, you know, they're, they've got the best touch. They're more likely to keep possession. They're, they're more likely to put, you know, a good through ball through to someone. Okay, that didn't didn't quite happen on Friday, but I I was quite comfortable with them. You know, Redmond that does have more pace, and when he when he chooses to use it, he he is more of a you know more likely to burst past someone. So horses for courses, I guess. If you know if you're if you're playing against a fullback who's a Who's a little bit slower than 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 Redmond's your guy, but I I thought those t- I thought those two um, you know did well enough on Friday. Certainly, you know again, I wouldn't see any reason to change that for the for the game against Norwich. I thought the two of them did well, but you know if um, if you if you play against a team that plays a high line on the halfway line, then you you know you may want to you may want to include Nathan Redmond or or Nathan Teller even as as mm. the wide players to to try and get in behind them. But uh, but no, I thought I thought the two of them did well, and um, yeah. Fair enough. They they stay in for me. A couple of other bits to get to before we do the Norwich preview. Sai has been talking about the the managerial vacancies, and obviously over the weekend there have been quite a few that have come up. Is it to be expected that Ralph might get linked to one or two of these jobs? Dan, is that just part of the the, the, the managerial merry-go-round and, and creating the headlines from less lesser publications than yours? Um, are we going to see those rumours? I don't think he's going to get linked to the Norwich job. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. Look, uh, he's. I think he's already been. I think the Daily Telegraph have already reported that you know he's someone that, that they like. He's sort of high on their list, but then they named you know five or six managers in that piece, so he wasn't the only one. And it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Three weeks ago, he probably wouldn't have been on anyone's list, and hmm. you know people would have been like, 
would they have minded if if he did go to Villa? Whereas now they, they've won three three of their last four, and all of a sudden he's kind of back in vogue. And now it's kind of like hands off our manager. Look, it, if he gets linked to a job, he gets linked to a job. That 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 that's kind of the part and parcel of the the kind of job he's in. And I think the only way that ever moves on is if Aston Villa come calling for Ralph. And I mean, I'm not kind of sat here on Sunday night at 20 to 8. I'm not entirely sure that that will happen. You know, it may do. And then the club will have a decision to make and Ralph will have a decision to make. But I'd be shocked, kind of very shocked. He's kind of very secure in his job at Southampton. He you know, he likes the people he works with, which is clearly important. And he has a good relationship with all of them. So yeah, I'd be very surprised if Ralph was to be the one that sort of kicked up a fuss and demanded to go to Aston Villa. But, you know, stranger things have happened. But I can't see it happening. I thought it was harsh. Smith sacking seems... I know I'm not a... Not you never liked fan. him. No, I didn't like him. I'm, I'm not, not hiding from that. I didn't like the guy, but I think it's I think it's pretty harsh. You know, they bought some players in the summer, but they also sold their best player. Mm. So I it's think, not I as think if... I saw a stat, they've lost 18 games this calendar year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. May How many have Saints lost this year? Uh, fewer than that. Did you see the one about um, Dean Smith's the tenth Premier League manager to be sacked after a bad result against Southampton? Yeah, that was an amazing. I, 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 like, yeah. I liked. I liked that Ranieri's been done twice by us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm a shame that we've all seen it. That would have been a great conversation. Have you seen it, Glenn, or not? No, I haven't. I was. I was having a conversation with someone on Twitter earlier on. I, I remember it was Chris Wilder last year. I'll, I'll give you a point for each. Yeah. Well, <laughs> nothing will beat the Glenn Hoddle one. I know it's a long time ago. Yeah. 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 But the, the Glenn Hoddle one, he left us to go to Spurs. He played us. He got beat 3-1 at home. He got sacked the next day. That was beautiful. And we, we brought out a DVD from memory. I think I've got it in the, the bookcase behind <laughs> me. Uh, it was Roy Hodgson, Dave Bassett, Glenn Hoddle, Mark Hughes as well, uh, Malky Mackay, Neil Warnock, Claudio Ranieri twice, Unai Emery, and uh, Sanchez Flores, which was that Watford? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. One of their one of their nameless, faceless managers. Yeah, there's so many. Actually, uh, yeah, okay. Um, It'd be interesting, actually. Just to, I've just seen on the one of the comments, actually, Nick Nick Readers asked, and not what he said, more worried about Simmons to Newcastle. What Stephen Glenn would think about Simmons and that, because it's interesting that chief execs don't normally get linked with jobs, do they? No, but we've got a good one, haven't we? So, well, we think we do. It's it's one. It's still one of those things where you you kind of almost never evaluate how good a job someone is doing in that sort of position until they've left, and you see how someone else gets on in in similar circumstances. I mean, he's doing. He's probably doing, almost certainly doing a better job than the guy who came before him. But at the same time, who knows? I mean, some somebody else might come in and 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 I don't know whether they've got better contacts or um, they're then able to. Im- uh, affect a, a, a sort of takeover that then means that all of a sudden the financial situation um, stabilizes who knows but yeah I mean it's on the face of it he seems to be um, he says the right things and largely the actions are backed up by by the words that are said which to be honest is probably probably all you can ask for a club of our size in in the league that we're in I think it probably will be defined actually on the takeover if if and when that goes through I think that will kind of end up be, could end up being his sort of defining legacy I reckon because that's such a big issue isn't it you know if, mm. if he ends up leaving and that's not done you kind of feel like well of course you know it's difficult to sell a club in, in a pandemic and so on but you kind of feel like that's he's tasked with that and you know if he can't do it then that would um Certainly, leave a question mark. I think he's a friend. He's a, Martin Simmons is a friend of the show as well. You've got to, you've got to remember that <laughs> because if we, if we'd have done this with Ralph Kruger, I'd have ended up shooting myself. Because let's hope we get the exclusive first. Oh. We need to move on to Norwich. Another international break, and then Norwich. I don't think we need to spend too long on this. But what have you made to uh, to their start of the season, Steve? It's 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 quite an interesting win at the weekend, but uh, not great. Yeah, I mean they they came came up against a team that's um, somehow in even worse form than they are. Um, I mean, Norwich have picked up a couple of draws before before going to Brentford um, at the weekend. And Brentford have, after they started really well and everyone was heaping praise on them, have suddenly just fallen off a cliff um, to the extent that I think we're, what, three points clear of them now, two, mm. two or three points ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, I think Norwich, I mean, we, we know the, the sort of uh, business side of things. They've, they've, They've been fairly open about their 
um, situation whereby they'll go up, they'll have a go as much as they possibly can within their financial constraints, but they've got no interest in trying to sort of speculate to accumulate, which is fine. It's very admirable. And, and I think clubs as a general rule should be run um sustainably but if you're if you're a fan and you've sold sold your best player for 40 million quid to a side that was that is kind of middling really let's be honest and then you spend and to be fair Norwich just spent a fair bit of money this summer they spent about 60 million quid all in and they've got tangibly worse which i think is a problem and that's i think that's largely why farkas ended up getting his first win win the season and then finding out he's been sacked half an hour later because he's not managed to get a tune out of these out of these players to enough of an extent that anybody sat above him in the boardroom is confident that they're even going to make a make a challenge to stay up. Um, and it sounds as if the decision was basically made on um, Thursday at a board meeting, um, and it was just a case of when the rest of the members of the board would would kind of ratify it. And I think, according to um, I think it was your colleague Dan who who said that they basically ratified it Saturday morning. Um, so you had these weird pictures on um, on the TV coverage of Delia Smith in the stand looking really stony-faced, even though they were winning away from home. Hmm. Um, and obviously now we know why. Um, She'd because, been drinking. Well, yeah, partly. But then, <laughs> but then presumably, pre- presumably Brentford wouldn't give her access to the to the PA system and a microphone. <laughs> I'm just um, sad that he got that now he's gone. That means we're not going to hear your impression anymore, Glenn. Because um, no, you got, got some good feedback on your Daniel Farker impression from last week. Yeah, it was a one-line throwaway. I'm not. I, we won't. We won't need to repeat that. He can, <laughs> he can go back to being a retired German porn star, which is what he looks like. Um, yeah. Um, well, with, with with Daniel Farker, I mean, basically, you could you can look at all the sort of nitty gritty of the transfers they've made and not made, and players have sold and whatnot. They're exactly where they were two years ago. They're rock bottom of the Premier League and I, I can unlike with, with Dean Smith, I can totally see why they've they've pulled the trigger on him because they're absolutely no better than they were two years ago. They're rock bottom of the league and and I'm sure that the, the chairman, whoever it is there, was was just looking at it going, We're gonna finish bottom. We're only going to get about fifteen points. This this is horrendous. I need to do something. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm not surprised. Be interesting to see who goes in there because there's no there's no obvious candidate unless they they pull someone from abroad who we've never never heard of. Though Steve Bruce used to play for them. Yep, Steve did mention Steve Bruce, who uh, used to play for him back in the it's probably the early eighties before he went mm. to Manchester United. So maybe Steve Bruce would fancy that job. And um, but whether he'd be the man to get him out of trouble, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's a free hit for whoever goes there because if he does keep him out, keep him up, it's a miracle. Yeah, and not expected to. But, uh, that yeah, well, maybe. But you kind of, you kind of hope that football's moved on a little bit, yeah. don't you? From the likes of Sam Allardyce. I mean, even Steve Bruce would be more progressive than Sam Allardyce. Um, I think. I think Norwich. Norwich seemed. Norwich, I think, have this belief that they're a fairly progressive club, and as a result, I don't think any of the usual suspects are going to be in contention. Mm. I, I, I mean, even Steve Bruce with his with his past club connections there. I, I think that's. Even that's probably a, an outside shot. Penny, who's watching tonight, she says it's going to be interesting to see who comes in at Norwich and if they get that new manager bounce. It would just be like Saints to go and draw that game. How difficult is it, Dan, to prepare against a team when a new manager comes in? Is is, is, is it an impossible task because you don't know what the setup's going to be or do you just look at the squad that they've got and, and, and assess it on that? Well, I think you, first and foremost, you look at the squad they've got and, and assess it on that. And if it's a manager... I don't know, let's say Frank Lampard ends up taking that job, whether he would or not, I don't know whether he even wants it, I'm not sure, but let's say it's someone like him, then you can go back and you can see how Derby played, see how Chelsea played, see what they, they may try and implement. I mean... We know Billy I, Gilmore would definitely start. Yeah, I think <laughs> if, if anyone... I mean, I don't I don't know where Norwich are at. I mean, are they, are they thinking that they're going to mount an amazing comeback and stay in the league and... Are they going to do that by playing expansive football? Probably not. So you'd imagine whoever comes in, if that is what they're going to try and do, would be somewhat pragmatic to try and sort of shore up at the back. And this whole manager bouncing, I mean, I don't I don't particularly know. I mean, it hasn't really worked for Ranieri. What, what was the score in their first game? Like 5-0 five, five nil. Nil or something mm. ridiculous, wasn't it? And mm. I know they beat Everton, but then it was like back down to reality against Southampton. I just don't know. I, I don't know. Norwich just aren't very good. Um, the, the players aren't very good. So I don't think too much is going to really change yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, I mean, I would not be surprised if they drew against Southampton. No, 
but I'd be surprised if they went and beat Southampton. Yeah. Well, that kind of brings us on to our predictions. If you're watching this for the first time, this is the bit where we all get our predictions wrong. Nobody got the score right last week, which is not unheard of. I think Dan's currently in the lead, I think with two so far this season. Um, we, we did we did all predict a win though, didn't we? We did all predict a win, yeah. I think you, your exact words were, Steve, I reckon the floodgates are going to open and we'll score three or four. So... Um, I wasn't going to bring it up, but <laughs> do you want to go first with the uh, the prediction for the Norwich game, Steve? Yeah, I mean, we'll. I think I think we'll. Uh, yeah, the floodgates will definitely open this time, <laughs> and we'll we'll prove we'll prove Get that new, on man- nil, nil. new manager bounce is is not a thing. Three uh, nil, three nil. Uh, Glenn, I feel like as we're on YouTube, we should have like Strictly Come Dancing paddles or whatever, <laughs> and uh, so I'll, ten. I'll, yeah, ten. Um, I'll, now I'll go. I'm quite confident. I'll go three one win. 3-1. Dan, what are you saying? 2-1, Southampton. 2-1, okay. Interesting tweet from Martin Cook this week on Twitter. He says, uh, can you discuss the current situation with the B team on this week's pod? From being smashed every match to an unbeaten run with some commanding results. What's changed? Uh, The results he's referring to, uh, the 5-0 against Newcastle, 4-0 against Aston Villa, uh, a couple of 1-0s against Reading and Wolves. And all of a sudden, they're up to 8th in the table. What's changed, Steve? By the sounds of it, they've changed the system. Basically, they've. I think they've. They've taken a pragmatic decision that while the the idea of playing the same system throughout the whole club is an admirable one in the B team, they simply don't have the players to play that system. So they've basically allowed um, Horseman to pick whatever system he deems he deems suitable for the players that he's got available. I think part of the part of the thing is also that the first two wins we got were against you say Reading and Wolves, didn't you? Uh, yeah. um, both, both both of those are fairly poor um, B teams, I think, um, in terms of in terms of their league position. And then the last the last two where we've obviously won quite heavily, uh, we've had the benefit of um, Will Smallbone playing mm. in the centre of midfield. And as a guy who's played a number of first team games, um, you would think that the quality that he possesses and the awareness of the game situation is head and shoulders above most of the players that he's up against. Yeah. Nathan Teller, so, played, Nathan Teller played uh, in the yeah, first Teller, one as well. Teller played one of them as well. So yeah, the, when when we when we're able to include players of of that caliber in the team, then all of a sudden we then do have a distinct advantage over a lot of the a lot of the sides we're playing. But is it as simple so as that? Dan, not, I know. Been, not been conceding goals either. Which you were chatting down with um, somebody on the uh, the website yesterday about this, and I think they made a similar point about the the players that were coming back in and were available now for the B team. Just it does make a difference. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And if the B team are, for example, playing against a, a West Brom who have somewhat of a, a decent level, you know, when they played West Brom and I was with that game, they had like kind of 22, 23 year olds mm. and they're playing against 16, 17 year old defenders. So then when you add someone in of, you know, Teller's quality or Smallbone's quality, particularly at that level, it makes a huge difference. Mm. I mean, I've not seen them play for the B team, but just based on seeing West Brom with a couple of experienced players they had starting, um, I think one of them had been out on loan in like League One, League Two. Yeah, that made a massive difference for them against Southampton. So if Southampton then have Premier League kind of quality play or Premier League players with experience coming in, that in itself is going to make a huge difference. And you'd expect them to be a kind of a class apart from from the opponents that they're they're playing if they're up against 16, 17 year olds. I think it's probably important to say that that the club, you know, I think there was always kind of an element of sort of sympathy at, at Horseman's door in the terms of you know, he just hasn't had the sort of players at his disposal. I think they are they do view him as, which I suppose is a good thing. They do view him as a, you know, a very capable coach. And I guess now they say, well, look, we, we've kind of given him the players and, you know, he's got the results. So yeah, the, in terms of where they kind of stand on him, I don't, I mean, of course they looked very bad on paper and no mm. one was happy that they were kind of getting spanked every single week, but they've seen that, you know, they, they, they do value him as a coach and they do think he's a very good coach. And now he's had a couple of more experienced players come back in to the B team then you know results have turned and I, I do wonder had it not been for the pandemic you know would these players be playing more for the b team it's simply because ralph wanted to boost his squad especially last season that a lot of these players left the b team to go up and train with the first team which then obviously left a gap in the b team so then the under under 18s needed to come up and it was kind of a an unfortunate chain of events but yeah long may it continue because if, if they're successful then the, the last thing you want is a loser's mentality sort of of players coming up to the first team that are getting battered every single week so they can start getting a few wins and a few good wins, then you know you may see a few more of them knocking on the door mm. to go and train with the first team. 
And a great win for the women's team as well um, this weekend. It was a, a clean sweep, um, which was good. Before we finish, I must mention um, Colt Baker, who, if you don't know Colt, he's one of our patrons. He's stateside saint on Instagram. He's a Saints fan. He's from Dallas in Texas, and he was at the game on Friday. So I'm delighted, first of all, that we won, and secondly, that there was a decent goal for him to see. Dallas to St. Mary Stadium, how many miles? Anyone? About 5,000, I guess. I'd have said 4,000, but it's a guess split the difference 4700 so um not far out not far out but well done to colt um i think that means he needs to be back at st mary's on the first of december now is it the leicester game um yep. if he's going to be a lucky omen so thank I'll, you I'll, I'll be back for that one which, which obviously <laughs> means we're going to lose oh great there we go <laughs> thank you chaps that's about it for episode 175 uh, my thanks as always to steve and to glenn and to dan thank you guys have a good week uh, thanks also to our matt the tier patrons that's colt baker who we mentioned Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy and Phil Cook also Nick Reed in our Francis Benali tier uh, new patron alert I was going to have a little alarm or a bell uh, hello to Kyle Andrew who joined our Bobby Stokes tier this week so thanks for your support Kyle uh, thank you for all the questions as well in the comments section by the way to find out more about becoming a TSP patron you can check out the website where you can join the fun for just £5 a month and you can find all the recent episodes of the Total Saints podcast on our YouTube channel so do check that out and hit subscribe don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and on the socials we are at Total Saints Pod you'll find us on Twitter and Facebook and it's always great to hear from you during the week you can also email us if you like via the website thank you for listening thank you for watching and enjoy another international break Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.